Hey there, Bad Axe Pod listeners. Today is kind of a special day because we are sharing with you a special kind of episode. We here at Bad Axe Pod have had a crazy week, but we did not want to leave you empty-handed. So we are releasing an episode we recorded a few months ago for Patreon. This episode is one of our current events episodes, so you are going to hear three incredibly interesting crime stories all in one episode. Now, these are recent cases that we recorded during the month that they occurred, so they aren't exactly as flushed out as most of our other stories, but I think you're going to get super into them. So check it out and just know that this is some of the content that we have over on our Patreon account. Thank you for listening and have an awesome day. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka, and today we are without our co-host because Aaron is working on a different project. But have no fear because I have three exciting recent news stories to talk to you about. Yes, this is our current events episode for January 2021. I have two cases that happened within, I think, the last week and one that's a little older, but is very relevant to what's happening in January, and you will see why when we get there. Our first case takes us to Indianapolis, Illinois, and took place on January 24th, 2021, which is just a few days before I'm recording this. At 4 a.m. on January 24th, a 15-year-old teen was found on the street near the corner of the 3300 block of East 36th Street in Indianapolis, Illinois stumbling and bleeding from gunshot wounds. The teen wanted to get help for his family. Police arrived on the scene where the teen informed them of a tragedy. According to news reports, the teen said, they killed my family. First responders transported the severely wounded teen to the hospital while authorities responded to his homes in the 3500 block of North Adams Street, also in Indianapolis. Officers arrived at the house and discovered a nightmare. Five victims, including a pregnant mother, lay in the house with gunshot wounds. The teen's parents, Kezi and Raymond Childs, both aged 42, both died from gunshot wounds on the ground floor of their home. Worse, the teen's siblings, 18-year-old Elijah and 13-year-old Rita, both died in the massacre, along with 19-year-old Kiara Hawkins and her nearly full-term baby. All three of them were found upstairs. Hawkins was Elijah's partner, and they were expecting their first child together. First responders rushed Kiara Hawkins to the hospital in an effort to save her life, or at least to save the baby. But her wounds were too serious and eventually claimed her life. The police started hunting for their killer. Fortunately, they had a witness recovering at the hospital. The surviving teen told authorities his 17-year-old brother, Raymond Childs III, had attacked his family. On the night of the crime, Raymond III left the family home and went to his girlfriend's house. 
He planned to spend the night over there, but hadn't gotten permission from his parents, which kind of makes sense because most parents are probably not going to let their 17-year-old son spend the night at his girlfriend's house, especially in the middle of a pandemic, right? So, the father, Raymond Jr., called and told his son to come home. The teen took an Uber back to the house sometime late in the night before 2 a.m. Back at home, father and son got into an argument. Obviously, Raymond Jr. was incredibly upset that Raymond III had snuck out of the house and was trying to go and spend time with his girlfriend, so he told him that he was going to be facing some sort of punishment. But the younger Raymond was not ready to hear that. And in fact, he planned to go back to his girlfriend's house. So the fight continued. Now during this argument, the elder Raymond made it clear that he was going to get his way and that his son was going to be punished for this transgression. Now the surviving teen told authorities that a little while after this, he was downstairs with his parents when gunshots sounded from the second floor of their home. Now, at the time of the shooting, the 15-year-old was in the laundry room while his parents were in a different room on that ground floor. Immediately after the shooting, his sister yelled, He shot Elijah! Or, according to some reports, he shot them. Which makes sense because Elijah and Kiara were probably together since they were a couple. Gunshots rang out again after 13-year-old Rita made this announcement. Moments later, the 17-year-old brother came downstairs and fired on his parents. As he shot them, his father said, I'm sorry, Raymond. I love you. The surviving teen told police that he ran from the home, trying to escape the carnage. However, his brother followed, shooting as they ran. The younger teen called to his brother and said, I can give you $40. Please don't kill me. But Raymond didn't stop. He first shot his brother in the leg, and when the boy went down, he shot him in the arm. Finally, he aimed the gun at the teen's head. Fortunately, the bullet missed. Now, neighbors reported hearing the gunshots, and they said that they heard four shots that the older brother leveled at his younger brother. Some of these bullets did strike the boy, but it's unclear from news reports exactly how many gunshot wounds the teen had, but police describe them as being very severe. Now, the handgun used in this crime is called a Draco, which shoots rifle rounds, so the wounds would have been more significant than with a gun that uses smaller ammo. While the 15-year-old bled out on the street, the shooter packed two bags of clothing and returned back to his girlfriend's home. Later, she told police that he arrived back between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and told her his father kicked him out. Now, keep in mind that the younger 15-year-old wasn't found until 4 a.m., so he may have been lying out there injured for quite some time. About 30 minutes after Raymond III arrived back at his girlfriend's home, she told police that she got an alert on her phone that there had been a shooting over on Adams Street where her boyfriend's family home was located. Now, as you can imagine, she got concerned. I mean, her boyfriend lives over there. His family is still over there. It's probably alarming to get a message saying there's been a shooting because, I mean, it's unlikely, but what if it's her boyfriend's family? So she asked him if he knows anything about it. Of course, he denied any knowledge and she had no reason to doubt him, so she accepted his answer. Now, later in the day on Sunday, which is the same day as the shooting, which is the shooting happened overnight, 
She asked him to go to the scene with her because she had some concerns. And Raymond III finally agreed to go. But when they got there, his behavior seemed really odd. Obviously, they realized that the crime took place at his house. And he started acting out. He started crying, displaying behaviors that she wasn't used to seeing from him. And this made her ask some questions to herself. But she kind of squashed that down and still went back to her house with him. Later on, he did go to a relative's house, and that is where police were able to arrest him. Now, based on the testimony of the brother and evidence gathered at the scene, authorities have charged the shooter as an adult in the Marion Superior Court. His charges include six counts of murder, one count of attempted murder, and one count of carrying a handgun without a license. Now, this story really stood out to me because we cover a lot of family massacres, I think, in just true crime in general. Not necessarily us, but everyone. And it's always really, really sad when it happens, but I just feel like it's somehow more sad when it's a child that does it because they haven't really become like a whole person yet in a way like they are but your brain is still developing and I just think it's extra sad because usually the reason is even worse than when adults do it I mean it's always it's always wrong when someone you know takes a life especially their families but a lot of times the children who do it whatever their reason is is so much stupider than any reason that an adult could give I mean in this case, he's mad because he can't go spend the night at his girlfriend's house. And so he kills his entire family, including his older brother, his older brother's girlfriend, this unborn child, his little siblings. He tries to kill both of them, but manages to only kill one. It's just, just atrocious. Like, I don't know. But I think it's important to look at these kinds of cases because, you know, this could happen to any family. And just knowing what to look for, what kind of signs to look for, what can we do to like prevent this in the future? I think it's something to look at. I really hope that this brother makes a recovery and is able to get healthy again. Obviously, he's not going to just get his family back, but I'm really thinking about him as he goes through this ordeal that is just unthinkable. All right, let's go to our next story, which takes place in Austin, Texas, very close by to where our Bad X podcast headquarters is located, which is in Houston. At around 4.30 p.m. on Monday, January the 27th, 2021, police responded to a call about a man with a gun invading the offices of Children's Medical Group. 43-year-old Bharat Naramanchi reportedly carried a handgun, a shotgun, and two duffel bags when he barged into the office of Dr. Catherine Lindley Dotson. Initially, he took five hostages, whom he made tie themselves up, although it's not clear that all of them actually did it, because you will see some of them did escape. Now, a few of these escapees got away almost immediately after the gunman came into the office, but there were some that remained that Naramanchi actually let go. So it's unclear if he never intended to take multiple hostages or if he just had one target, because Catherine Dotson remained in that office alone with Narumanchi and his gun. Now, both Narumanchi and Dotson are pediatricians, though authorities actually haven't found a connection between them. Because you see, Narumanchi had not practiced medicine in Texas and wasn't even licensed to do so. The last time he had practiced was in California before he moved to Austin six months prior to the crime. Now, this move allegedly happened because Narumanchi wanted to be with his family because as we're about to learn, he was facing a major health crisis. 
Now, he had recently received a diagnosis of terminal cancer, and doctors predicted he only had weeks to live. So it's possible that this prognosis made him snap, and that's why he invaded the offices of the children's medical group that day. But it's also possible that he targeted the children's medical group because of an issue over volunteering there. Staff members told authorities that about a week or two before this whole incident occurred, Narumanchi had come into Children's Medical Group and offered to volunteer at the facilities, but his application was denied. Now, it's not clear why, and staff members told authorities that Narumanchi never interacted with Dotson, so it's not clear why he would want to take it out on her, but it appears that it is possible that he became upset about not being able to do this volunteer opportunity in his last weeks of life. Now, this has really stood out to me because it seems strange, first of all, that when you're, if you did only have weeks to live for you to try to volunteer somewhere, since it seems like what you would spend that time doing would be, you know, with your family, trying to, to take care of yourself, maybe trying to do a few things off your bucket list, like go to the Grand Canyon, see some sights. But I'm wondering if maybe being a doctor was like the one thing that he thought was fulfilling. You know, maybe that was the one thing that made him feel like his life really meant something and that gave him a sense of of just being a good person, just being something special. And maybe he just wanted like one last week of feeling like he was really giving back to the community, like he was helping children. And when he didn't get to do that, he just decided to take all of his rage and grief out on someone who had nothing to do with it. Ironically, I feel like if that was his motivation, which is what authorities currently are looking at as a possibility, it's just so much more awful in a way because he took away a doctor who all of her patients said was just an amazing doctor who was there for her patients, who was kind-hearted, who made children feel at ease, who made parents feel special, who made all of her patients feel welcome and supported. He took that doctor away to avenge him not being able to be a doctor for, you know, to be a volunteer doctor for a week or to help people at the hospital for a week or a couple of weeks before he passed on. I just think it's ironic that, you know, if you had this noble purpose of being a doctor for kids or being helping kids who need medical help, and that was like his motivation in life, just taking that away from someone else just doesn't make sense to me. It just makes it kind of seem hollow that he had that goal, if if that was in fact his goal. That's just something that stood out to me about that. Now, when police arrived on the scene at Children's Medical Group, the escaped hostages told them about Naramunchi pointing a gun at one of them and telling that person to lock the door. So at this point, officers realize they do have at least the one hostage in there. So they called a hostage negotiation team to try to get them to talk him down so that they could save Dr. Dodson. Unfortunately, the hostage negotiation team was unable to make contact with the perpetrator, which is a big big red flag. So it's not clear what all they tried to do. Um, Maybe they tried calling, maybe they tried sending someone in there. It's not clear. But finally, after several hours of trying to make this contact and failing, they sent a robot inside the office just to get some eyes on the situation. And when they did that, they made a horrific discovery because they found both the bodies of Narumanchi and Dotson. Both of them lay dead in this office. Now, police have concluded that Narumanchi shot Dotson and then turned the gun on himself in a murder-suicide. Now, as of late January 2021, police are still looking for that motive for this murder-suicide. 
Currently, the top guess is that he was angry about not being allowed to volunteer at the office and decided to take his rage out on Dotson for some reason. KEYE TV News reported that Narumanchi's family are just as confused as authorities about the situation. They actually told reporters, quote, We don't understand our son's motives or actions, but we feel this time is best spent remembering Dr. Dotson and her contributions to this world. We are cooperating with investigators as they seek to make sense of this tragedy, unquote. Both the police and Narumanchi's family are asking anyone with information about the crime to come forward. Even though authorities are sure they know what happened, the question of why is unclear, and they're hoping that friends might have a clue as to why Narumanchi snapped and attacked Dr. Dotson. Dr. Dotson was a married mother of three and beloved by her patients. Colleagues told news outlets she had a calm, loving bedside manner, perfect for caring with kids. It's clear that she was an asset to all those around her, and it's a tragedy that she was taken, especially under such confusing and pointless means. Now, for our third story, we are going to talk about a couple from Tyler, Texas. Now, this case is not nearly as sad as the others. There's obviously a crime here, and trust me, it is tragic. But the people who commit it are just a huge question mark for me, and that makes this case a little bit more of a what kind of case. And there is something a little bit more interesting about those to me. Our couple are 25-year-old Kaylee Lewis and 31-year-old Sean McDonald. These two married on November 7th, 2020 in a tiny Las Vegas wedding in the Graceland Wedding Chapel. Now, you've probably seen some sort of report about this if you've been keeping up with some true crime news lately because this wedding has in a way gone viral for some very interesting reasons. Because Lewis, the girl, wore a dark paisley dress with a backwards red MAGA hat, while McDonald, the groom, wore a blue short-sleeved shirt with a plant pattern on it and a black MAGA hat. These two are apparently total style icons with their wedding wear, um, and they were all grins and giggles as they exchanged vows in front of empty pews in their COVID wedding. According to the Las Vegas Review Journal, the couple exchanged a really eerie promise with each other that kind of sticks out after you find out what they did. McDonald, the groom, said, let's do right by each other and right by Father God. And then Lewis replied, I agree, let's do it. Now, on its face, this probably doesn't seem that alarming, right? I mean, it's a wedding, people make promises to each other, but... What people are sticking on now that they've committed a crime together is this whole, I agree, let's do it. The phrasing doesn't really sound like, yes, I want us to have a nice, you know, a wedding where we love each other and we follow our religious tenets. It sounds more like there's some sort of unstated plan that our groom is hinting at. And that is kind of what a lot of authorities think that they were talking about now that we know what happened. Now, at the end of this wedding, you're probably wondering, what did they walk out to, right? Maybe you're not, but I'm going to tell you. It's not the wedding march. It's not Elvis, which I would associate with Graceland. Maybe some kind of hound dog, maybe. I guess that's probably not a good wedding song, right? You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Yeah, maybe not that one. (laughs) Uh, Maybe Love Me Tender, right? That would be cute for, like, leaving a wedding. No, that's not what they went with. They went with the Battle Hymn of the Republic. 
Which, y'all, I mean, <laughs> that's a great song. I mean, for like a protest or a lot of other places, but a wedding? Like to leave, to leave, start your marriage, you're going to go with the Battle Hymn of the Republic. I think that signifies a little bit about how you view your marriage to be, right? So I looked it up and the Battle Hymn of the Republic was actually written by an abolitionist and originally sung by Union soldiers in the American Civil War for solidarity, though some Confederate soldiers also sang it as well, apparently, which was kind of weird to me that they were both singing it and it's the same song. But since then, it has been adopted by a lot of different people to represent different types of protest. And sometimes those ideals went along with what the song originally meant. And sometimes they don't. It kind of just depends on the person. And there's a whole NPR article about how it's such a flexible song that any group can just kind of adapt it to what their needs are. Keep in mind as we go and find out what happens. The date they chose for their wedding was also super meaningful to them but not in the way that you might think because the couple chose November 7th to wed, not because it's the day they met or fell in love or went on their first date. Instead, they chose it because it was the day that most news organizations called the election for Joe Biden. Now, shortly after this wedding, the couple hopped into a black Toyota Camry with McDonald's 28-year-old brother, Christopher, for a road trip around the country, even though we're in a pandemic. They even went as far as Washington, D.C., which is pretty far away from both Las Vegas and from Texas. Now, even though the crime we're going to talk about later takes place in Las Vegas, um, authorities have traced the couple back to their home in Tyler, Texas, before the crime occurred. So it's unclear why they decided to attack Vegas instead of attacking Tyler. It's possible because they didn't feel like Tyler was the perfect place for their crime spree. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, Christopher, this brother, happened to be a felon already. And in fact, he had been convicted of a family violence crime, which is not exactly a rosy picture there. Now, I do have to tell y'all about his face tattoos. I am not shaming face tattoos. We know there's lots of people out there that have wonderful face tattoo art and are just living the dream out there. But this guy, on the other hand, trust me, they are very intense. Not like I'm a cool rapper or I'm a tattoo artist whose face is a canvas. I'm talking full zombie vibes, people. That's what I see when I look at him because he has a dark circle tattooed around his eyes with like these vein looking things coming off of it. He has a cross on his forehead and some sort of like, I want to say grill like thing. It looks like a grill around his face that goes like all around his mouth area where his beard might be. It's a little bit, a little bit intense. And I recommend if you, if you haven't already seen this guy, you should go look his picture up and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's not the kind of face tattoos that you would get because you're just like into the art of tattooing. <laughs> It's, it's like ones you get because you're trying to, like, spook people and just look scary. Like, he probably got them done in prison for some reason. Hopefully by his own choice. You know, I'm not even thinking about it not being his choice. Don't people, don't, and there's some people that, that have non-choice tattoos in prison. I don't know. That should not happen. But that's a, for another day. During this road trip, the trio discussed politics and the possibility of an upcoming civil war like a lot of people have been discussing, apparently, we all learned. Um, that's why I included this for this month's crime story. Even though this case does take place in late November, it is very connected to this whole, like, Civil War atmosphere that was happening early January. 
I mean, somehow this road trip ends up triggering the crime spree that comes a couple of weeks later. Because on Thanksgiving 2020, which was November 26th, and about three weeks after their wedding, the trio decided to put their dark desires into action in Henderson, Nevada, which is in the southern part of the state. This is also very close to Vegas, apparently, based on news reports. So they pulled their car up to a 7-Eleven in the 800 block of East Lake Meadow Parkway. Initially, they went inside the store, but then came back out and opened fire, shooting four people. 22-year-old Kevin Mendiola Jr. died in that shooting, and three other victims sustained injuries. Two of those victims are Mendiola's girlfriend and brother. Christopher McDonald allegedly fired those rounds. This is the brother of the groom, in case you forgot what their names are. Then, Lewis and the McDonald brothers drove around Henderson, committing at least four more shootings. At least 10 people reported being shot at by the trio, but they weren't finished yet. The trio kept driving, eventually crossing into Arizona, north of the city of Parker on State Route 95. There, they committed five more spree shootings. In total, one person died and five were injured in their shooting spree. Arizona Department of Safety officers disseminated a description of the vehicle the trio were driving, and an officer spotted it shortly thereafter in La Paz County. While the officer approached the vehicle, it went off the road and rolled onto its roof. Obviously, our perpetrators are in a vulnerable position because they're upside down in this vehicle, but that is not going to stop them from trying to continue their spree. Sean McDonald, that's the groom in the wedding, reportedly pointed a gun at officers as they approached the vehicle and they shot him, wounding him. Now, at that point, Arizona DPS caught and arrested the couple, and they also arrested Christopher, who had to be treated for minor injuries. Now, I do have to point out here that this guy that's obviously our perpetrator, all three of our suspects are white, and I just think it's kind of interesting that they literally pointed a gun at at officers, um, allegedly, while on a two-state shooting spree, but all three of them survived and only had minor injuries. I believe the police shot him in like the leg. That kind of stood out to me um, just because we have so many um, well-publicized shootings of people who are black who are not doing anything and still got shot. And this guy literally is trying to shoot police, but just saying. After the arrest, police recovered several handguns from the vehicle. And because they crossed state lines, the trio faced charges in both Nevada and Arizona. Now, authorities initially charged Lewis with manslaughter, aggravated assault, and endangerment, though she may face additional charges. However, reports indicate she also faces charges of murder, attempted murder, battery, and discharging a firearm into a structure. It's unclear if she faces all of those charges or just some of them, since she apparently did less than the guys did, although since she was there, she's still um, part of it. So, Sean McDonald and Christopher McDonald are charged with murder, attempted murder, battery, and discharging a firearm into a structure, and prosecutors say they may pursue some form of terrorism charges. Now, after their arrests, Lewis and Sean McDonald, uh, the married couple, waived extradition to Nevada, and Christopher McDonald was previously transferred to Nevada, but it's not clear how that took place. 
At this point, the prosecutor's office reportedly may seek the death penalty, though it's unclear which cases that would apply to. And a judge did deny bail for all three perpetrators, so they're currently all sitting in the Clark County Detention Center. I wanted to talk about this case with all y'all because I had actually not heard of it when it first happened. I did find out about it this month when the video of their wedding was released, and I just thought it was just crazy. I mean, I personally am not as interested in shooting sprees. We have covered at least one in, in the other current events episode that we've done. I'm not as interested in shooting sprees in general because... I don't know. They just don't seem to have as much meaning behind them. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like when you're reading about true crime, it's it's interesting to study, like, what happened with the situation. You know, like, what drove the killer to kill? Like, why did they think this way? Um, who was the victim? How did they know the killer? All these types of information. And I feel like with the spree killing, it's more, like, thoughtless in a way, and there's no real connections between like, how the killer decided to kill that person. Like, it's just all random. Something about the randomness is just less interesting to me. I think it's partially, too, because it's a little bit more scary because any of us could be, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. You could be a victim of something so random. I mean, you could be driving down the street, sitting at a traffic light, um, walking in front of your house. Like, that type of shooting could happen to you any of those times. But I, I think this case is a little different from most spree shootings because the suspects, based on you know, what the authorities are saying and what reporters are revealing about their past seem to have had some sort of problem with society, with the recent election, with their concerns about Civil War stuff. And the spree killing seems to be part of that somehow. Um, But it's unclear exactly why they thought this was the right route to take. Um, But a lot of things are unclear right now. So I don't know, maybe they had some sort of manifesto that'll come out or not that I guess we should read those. I don't know. You let me know. You are all so wise. And I'm interested to find out what you all think about that kind of thing. Like, should we read these people's manifesto if it exists? Why do you think they did this crime? Do you think spree killings are less interesting? What do you think? I mean, you're you're the per- people I really care about hearing from. So let us know. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a spectacular day. If you have any sort of requests for stories in the future, especially for current events, let me know what they are because I am keeping up with stories that are coming out in the news. And honestly, for this one, I've switched out what stories I was going to do a couple of different times. And I just thought these stories would be the ones that would really be exciting for you guys, that would be interesting, that you'd want to know about, and honestly, that you'd want to be talking about once you heard about them. So yeah, let me know in the future. You know, if you have a a story suggestion, we definitely want to cover what you want to hear about. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.